0: Hey everyone, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler that digs deep into the realities of traveling as a woman today and celebrates why we'll never stay home. I'm Meredith Carey and with me, per usual, is my co-host Lalear Koklu. Hello. And this week we are joined by the one and only Tyler Weatherall, whose book, No Way Home, A Memoir of Life on the Run, published by St. Martin's Press, came out in April. She wrote a little excerpt from her book, or, kind of, an offshoot of it for our Women Who Travel package, uh, which came out earlier this year. Um, but we wanted you to come on because your story is so incredibly <laughs> interesting and it deserves way more. It deserves a whole book, really, which kind of is how it all worked out. So, Lala, you edited the story. Do you want to start off with your line of questions first? Yes, yes.
1: Um, it would be like we're editing again. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give away too much what happens in the book, but I think we can talk about your essay. And you talk about this unconventional childhood that you had yes. and the way that that kind of moulded you into the sort of traveller that you are now. And I think when you wrote the essay for us, it was sort of a bit of a light bulb moment for you in that you hadn't quite connected the two things, that your childhood and travel had actually been so quite so intertwined. Yeah, it, it took me an amazingly long time to
2: work that out. I, I remember an earlier draft of the book, and someone who read it said, "You haven't mentioned that you're a travel writer," and to me, that had been completely irrelevant. That I'd spent my childhood on the run and then became a travel writer. I was like, those two things were not connected. And even though I made that connection at that point, I hadn't yet kind of unpacked it and tried to understand it. And because it's it's complicated. You you know, you spend a childhood as nomadic as mine it's not always a positive thing and yet I loved to travel and I was trying to understand
1: how one thing had led to the other. And so for those listening who didn't read the essay or haven't read your book yet why was your childhood so unconventional? Why were you traveling so much? So I'll sort of whiz through it. <laughs> when I was nine years old
2: I found out that my dad uh, was a fugitive. And that we'd been on the run from the FBI uh, since I was two, and that was because Scotland Yard had found out where we were in England, and reappeared in our lives, and this led to a couple years of him continuing to flee the authorities um, until he was eventually caught. And so in my life, and you know, maybe this should have been like a glaring sign that something was off. I'd lived in five countries and thirteen houses by nine years old. And most of those were kind of packed into the first three years of my life. So we, we were living this very peripatetic existence, um, moving through Europe from uh, studying in California, then went to Italy, and then Portugal, and then fire France, uh, ending up in England. And in that time, a lot of houses and traveling. I realize I haven't actually said what my dad did. <laughs> We've added a little bit of suspense. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I kind of forget that that bit needs to be told. Um, so once he was in prison, he didn't tell us what he had done at first, so we kind of had all these years of not knowing. And then once he was in prison, he told us that he was a, uh, one of the biggest importers of Thai marijuana into the United States in the late 70s and early 80s. And he had been smuggling pot for like, I guess, a decade uh, before they finally caught him. So yeah, I guess he was doing traveling, too. And he was
0: doing a lot of traveling. I think it's funny because we talk about this in the office. We joke about it with one of our coworkers, Sebastian, who um, wrote an essay about being this third culture kid where when people ask him, like, where's home for you? Because he traveled so much growing up. Um, he doesn't really have an answer. And Catherine, who was on this podcast last week, had the same, I guess two weeks ago, had the same feeling. But your like reasoning for feeling that <laughs> way is so different. But are you any closer? to kind of being able to answer that question when people ask you,
2: where are you from? No, not at all. (laughs) You'd think after i have just written a book, No Way Home, and um, (laughs) I would have figured that one out. But it is difficult, and I think it's increasingly difficult for everybody, because we all are living existences that move us away from our hometowns. Fewer people are staying in the place that they're born. I usually just go for the shortcut and say I'm from London, which is really not true, because I moved there when, you know, after I graduated. So I'd lived there for 10 years, maybe 10 years, something like that. So I feel, you know, very connected to London. And that's the easiest because of my accent. If I say I'm from California, people are like, what? No way. <laughs> and, and that doesn't work. And it raises all the questions. And I was at school in Bath for the, lo- like I lived in Bath in the West Country of England for the longest part of my life. But my mum left when I left school, so I never felt, And I, you know, I I liked Bath, but a lot of the things that were difficult in life happened when we were there, and it was a really beautiful city to grow up in, but I never felt, like, emotionally attached to it, and because I don't return there when I go home to visit my family, it's not become a place
1: I kind of associate with myself, necessarily. I think so much of it is when when you're an adult, it's like, your home is sort of, if your family's still in that place, then that is where you still feel rooted, and I think it gets so much more confusing when they're not there or they've left and they've gone somewhere else and it's like to a place where you don't actually have any emotional ties to.
2: Yeah, or your own room or that kind of thing. You're not returning to something, you're going to something. I definitely, for me, I definitely feel, and I think sort of this is the process that happens in the book is this coming to understand that, you know, we define home for ourselves in a different way. It doesn't have to be a place or it's certainly not one place and for me that feeling of going home is i call home where m- my mum is i go back to england to where she's living and i i call that going home it feels like going home uh so yeah family i
1: guess <laughs> and so when you were nine years old you have these really vivid descriptions of these early experiences there's one in your essay talking about a turtle in saint lucia that's really beautiful and um did you think it was unusual, your, your lifestyle, your family's lifestyle? Or you know, I guess when you were like a child you've just sort of along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just sort of accept things. Yeah. Um and it's all you've ever known. But yeah. did you ever have moments where you were like, oh that's weird, all these other kids that I'm meeting are like have been in this place the entire time? And
2: so until I was nine I did recognize that it was mainly it was other parents' reactions, so that here I, I used to have an American accent. And other parents would hear my accent and be like, oh, where are you from? And then I'd sort of say that, were you from California? And then I would tell them the other places we'd lived. And they they would say things like, oh, is your dad in the army? Or trying to understand. And I'd just be like, he's a (laughs) businessman. Which doesn't really cut it. And I guess he is, in a way, of his own ilk. But, uh, yeah, and I knew by their reactions that there was probably... Something strange about the way I had been raised, yet I didn't recognize that as ringing alarm bells. I didn't see that as, oh, wait, maybe I should be asking more questions about this. I quite liked it. I liked that people thought that my child had been unusual. It made me feel that there was something different in a good way. But then certainly after we found out and all the traveling that came after that, that was strange. (laughs) Fair. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like... When you have settled down now, that that, like, urge to keep moving for, like,
2: enjoyment purposes sticks around. When now I've settled down as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely something that's integral to who I am traveling. And there must be a switch. Because I used to hate moving house. I would put up such a fuss. And I was really nostalgic. And I would always, my family would... Tell me, I used to kiss the letterboxes of the houses we'd <laughs> left behind to say goodbye to them, and um, and every time we moved, I I didn't want to, and then I'd arrive at the new house and I wouldn't be happy there. But then as soon as we left that house, I'd be like, no, but I love it here. So I was always in these cycles of nostalgia and regret, and and so I didn't enjoy it. But then I think the pleasures of going to see new places were I found such joy in that. At the same time, so. I remember you know, going to St. Lucia and my dad ended up hiding out at the end of his time on the run. And it really was beautiful, it was unlike any place you know, I, I felt like I'd seen. And we went scuba diving and we saw sea turtles and we became these like beach kids with straggly hair and lived in this wonderful lifestyle there. And that definitely, this little s- sort of spark went off in my head like, wait, there's this big world out there and I want to go see it. Um, And then my mum took me to India when I was 16, and we went on a family holiday together. We went to Anjuna, and we got some these really amazing cheap deals for the family over. We had to fly on Christmas Day and fly back on New Year's Eve, which most people don't want to do, but, you know, if you're kids, it doesn't mean anything. or It was something like that. And at the time, Anjuna only had one hotel. I know apparently now it's all really overrun with development, but back then there was only one hotel, and it felt, you know, there weren't that many tourists in town and I felt this amazing experience of of another culture uh, and it's such a beautiful place and we'd go down to the market and buy food and and there were these this other place called Vagator, a bit further I think it's Vagator, a bit further up the coast. And we went there to look around and there were these travellers with like the backpacks on, on their mopeds, like rushing around the dust and techno music playing on the beach and everyone's <laughs> dancing. And this, me, l- I was 16, I was like, oh my God, I want to be one of them. <laughs> I'm not that type of traveler now, but definitely that was like, I'm going to
1: go traveling as soon as I'm allowed. There's also <laughs> like nothing more stressful when you're that age than like seeing that and being with your parents <laughs> and being like, I want to be a part of that so much, but I can't be, but maybe if I just like walk slightly away from them, <laughs> my mom, then people will think that I'm part of it (laughs) just go a little bit closer yeah (laughs) and so what's your mum like as a traveler then because obviously she was um on the run with you guys correct yeah yeah Yeah. she was she came with us and so and then she was like taking your family holidays to India so is she also a massive traveler or I think she she moved a lot in her life out of that just as
2: kind of what unfolded for her so she was born in, in Calcutta and then she was a boarding school in the UK and then at 16 she went and lived in Paris then New York as a model so she was already leading this quite adventurous lifestyle and um so I think that kind of the idea of being on the run when when the investigation started into my dad's operation then at that point she was faced with either dad going to prison and her raising the three of us on her own and an unknown amount of time of this. And the other option was to go on the run and going on the run seemed like a much better option at that moment. And I think because she traveled so much, it felt manageable, the idea of it. So yeah, I guess she is a traveler, but I think she rather would rather go live somewhere and get to know it and become involved in the culture and the lifestyle there. Like when we were in Portugal, she she learned the language and uh, made friends. It's sort of more about finding a routine somewhere than what me and my sister do so often, which is just we want to see,
1: see everything. <laughs> Doesn't she still have a Portuguese nickname for you guys? <laughs>
2: yeah, she calls us chuchu. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is some kind of root vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> but I, think I think it's also, and I think it's a pet name in, in Portuguese. I've never actually found a Portuguese person to ask. <laughs> so wait, hang on, chuchu is that actually a pet name? <laughs> I love it. it, I love uh, it.
0: Well, how did you kind of transition from having travel be a necessity for your life as a kid to choosing to travel more often for work as an adult?
2: Well, after that trip in India Mm -hmm. and that little light bulb moment I had, I saved up that year working. I had this job in a tea shop in Bath. I had to wear like a a little white pinafore, you know? It was terrible. (laughs) It was a terrible job and I got paid next to nothing. You don't get any tips in England or anything. And I somehow saved up enough money to buy a flight to Mexico. And I was just 17, it was like 1999. And I had a boyfriend who was a bit older than me, but he'd never left the country before. So we had to get him a passport for this trip. And I sort of announced to my mum, I'm going backpacking around Central America. And she's like, you're, you're what? <laughs> but you know, there's not actually much you can do uh, when a 17-year-old decides this is what she wants to do with her summer. And so me and him went and backpacked around Mexico, Guatemala, and Belize, before I, then I went back to my last year of high school. And, and even though that trip was really difficult, I knew I wanted to go back and do more. Um, and that trip was difficult because I knew nothing about anything. I didn't speak any Spanish. I wasn't prepared for the downtimes times of traveling, the difficult bits. I just wanted, the, you know, my siblings both traveled and I'd heard about their amazing stories about jumping into the sea off the backs of boats and uh, hiking up mountains and all kinds of things. And I, I wanted that experience. They didn't tell you about the seven hours on the side of a road. When yeah, you're no a like at the
0: dinner table when they're like, how was your trip? No one's
2: like, well, you know what? I got stuck. <laughs> and It was so rough. Yeah, no one tells me yeah. about that. No one. Or I got stuck in the same hurricane twice because <laughs> oh, I didn't no. check the
1: weather forecast. <laughs> Which is like an amazing 17-year-old mistake to yeah. make.
2: <laughs> I had to leave an island because the hurricane was coming in. And the last hurricane, this island, Belize, had been cut in half by the last hurricane. So we then were like, OK, well, let's move up the coast. And then we got to the beach further up the coast. And a guy like runs down and says, like, what are you doing? And we're pitching our hammock. And he's... He's like, the hurricane's coming. And <laughs> <I'm> like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I kept traveling. And when you know, each summer I saved up and I went away during college. And, and then I ended up working in magazines. And at some point I was like, this isn't quite right for me. And I quit my job and dumped my boyfriend and left my apartment and moved to South America. <laughs> All in the space of a week. It was, it was really dramatic. <laughs> um, and in South America I realized that what I wanted to be doing was writing about travel. I was traveling around Uruguay and being like, this feels luxurious, and what am I doing here? And I wanted to, to have a sense of purpose. And then once you start writing about a place, it's, it's wonderful. Like, it forces a level of engagement that you don't necessarily push for all the time, or at least I wasn't always incentivized enough to push for. Because you have to ask questions of strangers that you might not feel like you want to ask, uh, or you do want to ask, but you don't want to offend or intrude, whereas as soon as you're a journalist and you're a travel journalist, it's your job <laughs> to ask difficult questions um, or just be curious. So yeah, at that point I came back and I started focusing on writing more travel. And then luckily got this great job with a Swedish uh, startup doing city guides. And it was amazing because we got to build the whole like, roster of city guides. So every month I was traveling to a different European city and writing about all the amazing things they had there. It was, it was an amazing job. And so then, after that, you moved to
1: New York? Yeah.
2: So I did a, yeah, I did a city guide work for a while, for maybe four years, five years. And Then I got uh, an agent in New York for my book. I'd been working on the book on the side this entire time. And once I got an agent in New York, and there is a writing community here that is really beautiful. And as soon as I got here, I felt that I could be part of that, and I didn't have that in London. And that really is what made me want to come here. Yeah, so I've moved here. I've been there ever since.
1: And so this is a experience that you've lived with and you have the memories of it for like your entire, your entire life. What moment were you, did you suddenly realize that you wanted to put that into a book or into some sort of piece of writing? It was a really, <laughs> it
2: was, it was a really long process. My dad wanted to find a ghostwriter to tell his story. One of the things about leading a life like that, at the end of it, you know, he'd been to prison and obviously all the money was gone or confiscated by the FBI. And what do you come out the other side of that with? Um, But this amazing story that he has of this life he's led. And I didn't want a ghostwriter to tell our story. And I was already working as a journalist, so I flew out to L.A. and lived with him and started interviewing him. So it began as his biography. And as I was doing that, I realized that writing that was only making me feel frustrated with him uh, and the decisions he'd made. And I felt like I'd already dealt with that anger at the fact that he, the choices he made led to us being separated for the majority of my childhood. And we were really close and we still are really close. And by writing it as his story where, you know, this is his version of what happened where he is this hero who's going on these wild adventures and escapades and, and, and he should be there and I want him to have that version but I couldn't write it because there was hurt caused by it and I needed that to be part of the story too so I started writing it from my perspective at that point so it was kind of accidental and certainly it began as a novel because I was like I didn't I couldn't quite tell everyone it was my life story at that point I really didn't tell anybody
1: how did the conversation go with your father when you said that you couldn't write his book you had to write yours it was difficult and I think he was he was sad
2: by the fact that at that point he hadn't yet fully recognized what we had been through and so by my telling him that I wanted to write it from my perspective meant that he needed to hear as well what what was the kind of collateral damage of his decisions and that uh, there, were, there was hurt caused by it. And he always saw that we were all victims of the American justice system and we were in it together and we were, we, were, we were a team in that. Whereas actually it was like, no, you made choices and those choices and hurt us. So by me writing the book, he had to come to terms with that. But ultimately, dad's incredibly supportive and he totally stood by the decision and he's helped me all the way through countless hours on the telephone. He only read it once it was finished. And he said it, he laughed and cried all the way through. I think it was a pretty heavy experience for him. Yeah. And he's in LA, still in LA now? He's in San Francisco. He's in San Francisco. Uh, working as a financial manager. And out, which is the important point.
1: In, yeah, Lilla. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been impressed if he was doing that in prison. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
2: Though He did. He taught the st- uh, He taught. started out on Wall Street, so he had a bit of an unconventional, he's uh, you not know, your sort of... How you'd imagine a drug smuggler, his background is on Wall Street. So when he was in prison, he taught stock market classes to the other prisoners and helped them learn how to like, manage their wealth and stuff.
1: That's <laughs> an incredibly useful
2: tool to leave prison with. Yeah, I thought he was, his classes were massively oversubscribed
1: to get there to teach more <laughs> of them. I thought it was pretty cool. That's amazing. Um, and so then when you were working on the book, did travel play a role in your writing process? Did you go back to some of the places that you lived in and been to in your childhood and like revisited them? Sort of, how did it work? Yes, so I went back to Saint Lucia actually to do a
2: travel piece, and it's interesting reading that travel piece now because obviously I don't mention, you know, this other big <laughs> narrative that happened. I did mention that I'd been there as a child and talked about some of my memories of being there as a child, leaving out that other very large thing um, because you know it was on Saint Lucia where. Uh, Scotland Yard eventually came and apprehended my dad on my 12th birthday. So it was kind of the, 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 the crux of the, of the story. Essentially where my book opens is with that moment in St. Lucia when we get the phone call that Scotland Yard are on their way. So it was strange to be back there again and we actually stayed in the same bay that, we, that this had all unfolded in for a couple nights. And that was very surreal but it did mean that it could color those scenes with visual description that wouldn't have been accessible necessarily otherwise. And that was very useful because it's such a beautiful, central place. And I felt like having gone back there, I could make that come to life on the page. So I went to saint Lucia and then I went back to Bath uh, as well, and went to my old houses, which was weird. (laughs) But I didn't go to Portugal or France. And partly that was because I didn't necessarily remember them anyway. So that I wanted those parts of the book to reflect what was, what was honest in terms of I was so young at those points. It would always be hazy and t- as told to me. And I went back to see the house I was born in, which is the yellow house in the book. And it had been painted gray, which felt very symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> and then weirdly, while writing it, because I moved over here in t- to New York, but I actually still had a boyfriend in London... I entered this incredibly, almost compulsively nomadic phase of my life while I was going back like every few months I kept changing my mind being like oh I, I don't want to be separated from from you and I'd move back and then I'd be like I can't be here I need to be in New York and then I moved back to New York and when I was in New York I was moving a house like every three months even less than that I think I lived in like nine apartments in one year and I was like what, <laughs> what, what am I moving doing? moving in New York
0: is the worst. Yeah, I,
2: it, it was strange and I kept saying to myself okay I'm going to stay still for five minutes and, and also while trying to write a piece of work like this, it's big, it's that you know, it's an unwieldy thing, a book, to try and bring it together, especially when it's your life story or probably any book. And doing that while living out of a giant red suitcase, it was nuts. It made me question more of like, what has the impact of having such a nomadic childhood been if I seem to be incapable
1: of settling down in one place? How did you get out of that nomadic lifestyle? <laughs> I don't know. Have, have you? Got- <laughs> <laughs> a little bit.
2: Yes, I have an apartment. And I have a lease, which is new Um, (laughs) and exciting Uh, with my boyfriend here, and uh, I think that's going to be quite grounding, though he's a traveler as well, so mainly I'm quite excited by the fact that soon I want to get back on the road. Now this is done, um, the next priority is doing some more traveling, So all the time I was writing this, I made the decision to do it when I was living in South America then all the time I was writing it, I was like, as soon as I'm done, I'm, I'm going to go traveling. And I never expected it to take 10 years from start to finish. And now it's been 10 years since I did a really big trip. I've done little trips. But, yeah, I want to get back on the road. Have you, have you got anywhere that you were sort of mulling? I really, oh, God, so many places. It's really difficult. <laughs> I really want to go to Honduras and do my advanced paddy because I want to go dive in the Galapagos. That's like the life one day, if I can figure that out.
1: We actually just had an editor on last week talking about a trip she took to the Galapagos, Aww. which seems to have, like, was sort of life-changing for her. <laughs> Exactly. No, exactly.
0: <laughs> and I think that, yeah, I mean, we've talked a bunch about getting your advanced scuba diving license and, and how freeing that is. and. Opening up a whole new world of travel because, yeah. you know, you've got the whole ocean to go for.
2: <laughs> totally. Well, I did my, beginners' goodness, Patty, actually, in St. Lucia during all that, cra- the first time oh with my dad during all that craziness. And <laughs> I remember, so it's so typical of my dad. There was this bizarre moment where we, so we got the call that Scotland Yard were on, our, on their way. So we knew we had to get off the island really quickly but me and my sister had spent the last you know 10 days of being there working towards getting our beginner paddy and I couldn't take the test on my 12th birthday because at the time I think the age limit was 12 and dad didn't want all of our hard work to go to waste so he's like working out how to get like last-minute flights so we can leave the island before the authorities arrive and he's trying to figure out a way that he can leave the island so they don't catch him and in the middle of this he manages to find the guy who runs the scuba diving shop and bring him up there and be like they have to take their test now. <laughs> it has to happen right now. So amidst all this me and my sister take a minute to sit down and do our paddy scuba test. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm very proud of that card.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, that's a lot of hard work. Um, I feel like, you know, in talking about all these decisions that your parents both made to make travel integral to your life, it feels like you've made all of these like very life-changing decisions, leaving at 17, going and moving to South America and, and quitting your job and breaking up with your boyfriend and doing everything at once. I mean, like this... Fear of the unknown I think can stop a lot of people from making those decisions how do you feel like through all of this you've been able to like put that aside and say like this is the most
2: important thing for me to do right now is to get out and get on the road it's a difficult question I think there is such a unique pleasure and I, I'm you know i'm I'm very grateful to my parents for having gifted me this because I think for some people this is very difficult but I can feel like I can land pretty much anywhere on the planet and figure it out. Find somewhere to sleep, find something to eat, create a little world for myself. And I find that process now incredibly fulfilling and pleasurable and I think that feeling really drives me to keep wanting to see more. Just the other day I was thinking of how wonderful it was that I'd made all the friends I had in New York and I'd built this world and I'd learned more about America, which is, you know, I am actually American. I really didn't know about America. And that none of this would have existed if I hadn't come here. Then I just was like, "Oh wait, I want to do it again. I want to have this experience of another city and go live somewhere else and go through it all over again. And I know for some people that idea is really scary. And so I'm grateful to my family for having given me that. And yet, there are moments, especially with solo travel, that I am terrified. You never quite know if you're safe a lot of the time, especially as a woman traveling. And yet I keep pushing myself to do those things, even though they, they're they right on the cusp, because I don't want to be defined by what I'm afraid of. So there've been moments where you know, you're walking home from a restaurant and your hostels, on a street that doesn't have a street light and in your back of your head you're like, Am I okay? Is this gonna be okay? And and you you can't not do those things. Or I remember traveling in Cuba, which is an incredibly safe place to travel, but I was going via the camiones, the trucks that go around the country, and I was going at for some reason it was nighttime that I was trying to do this big journey. And I waved down one of the the trucks and they open at the back and at night to keep it warmer, they shut the side. So you really are in the back of a truck with like the tarpaulin down either side. And I get in and I realize it's me and everyone else in the truck is a guy. And I'm sure they're all really kind, good people. But as the only woman with like 40 men and then they shut the back of the truck and then you're in the pitch black in the back of the truck with 40 men you don't know. And there's part of you like, this is a terrible idea. What am I doing? (laughs) Of course it's fine. but And of course you should do it. Those are the, the moments that you you show yourself what you're capable of and that you push yourself to have experiences you would never have otherwise. And I think it's for that that I keep doing it. And if you're not a little scared, then I think life might get quite boring. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little scared all the time.
1: <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I also think there's something really amazing about when you do finish a trip and you, you think back to things that you sort of conquered on your own and you do feel very proud of yourself. And, it's a great feeling
2: yes totally and that and you you come back and that those stories kind of populate your imagination and and I think help just expand your experience of the everyday as well and everything is put in perspective I think that's the other thing that I love traveling for and I think is so important we get so stuck in our worlds in our in our the the minutiae of our lives and as soon as you'd leave and you probably have to be gone for a a little while. I find that like, normally it's about a week and it starts kicking in, and everything suddenly seems very unimportant. And I'm like, why do I get so stressed all the time? <laughs> <laughs> and I think I need that too. I'm going on holiday on Thursday,
1: so it's <laughs> yes. really amping me up. While I was in the mindset already. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm, like, not in this room. Where are, you, where are you going? Um, LA and then driving up to Big Sur and then San oh, Francisco. Amazing. For her birthday. Oh, I've <laughs> never done that drive. Birthday trip is such a good road trip. I've not been to Big Sur, though. I'm very excited. We're staying in this very strange-looking, I say the term, resort very loosely. It's, like, in the <laughs> woods. It claims to be one of like, the oldest places in Big Sur. Um, to stay and it's all these little wooden cabins and they have a sort of market and diner like on the site it's very kitsch the website looks like it was made in the website was made in like (laughs) 1994 I think those are the best places to stay yeah I can't wait
0: (laughs) um do you have anything else
1: I feel like this is a nice yeah. note to yeah. wrap it up on.
2: Um, okay, do, well... Unless um, there's anything you're learning yeah. no, to... No, I'm, that's perfect. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> well, um, you can follow Lala's journey on Instagram uh, if you want to follow her road trip, her birthday road trip. Everyone's waiting. <laughs> <laughs> And where can they
1: find you? I uh, find me at Hannah on Instagram.
0: And you can find Tyler's book on Amazon, I assume, and in yes. bookstores all over the place. And where can people follow your future journeys, maybe I'm to Honduras?
2: on at Tyler Writes.
0: And I'm at Oh Hey There, Mayor. You can also read Tyler's essay on cntraveler.com, along with a bunch of other essays from that Women Who Travel package from earlier this year. Join our Facebook group, Women Who Travel, and we'll see you next week.